Hey everybody, this is Ian Reed Twist, the pastor at Holy Cross Episcopal Church in Novi, Michigan. And a note that um, if you listen to these podcasts on anchor.fm, you can leave a message for me there uh, with questions or comments or responses. And um, I'd love to hear from you and would love to incorporate those in and I can even respond to them or answer them in subsequent podcasts. So feel free to go to anchor.fm and leave me a message. Today's sermon was preached on September 29th, 2019. And the passage was Luke 16, uh, verses 19 through 31. And uh, as always, I'll read that passage first. If you want to skip the passage, you can just bump ahead uh, about a minute and 50 seconds, five zero seconds, and uh, you can get to the sermon that way. All right. Thanks for listening. A reading from Luke. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented... He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he's comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great, chasm, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Imagine this. You're driving through an upscale neighborhood somewhere. You know, the kind of place with velvety lawns sweeping back to multi-story homes, gleaming front doors kissed by circular driveways, birdsong and weed whackers humming in the golden air. As you pass this neighborhood's well-kept Episcopal church, slate-roofed and sprouting elegant gargoyles, you notice a figure huddled on a bench in the front yard. Someone wrapped in a dark blanket is lying on his right side there, his face and hands hidden in the folds of one end, his bare feet poking out the other. The man is definitely out of place. 
especially in this neighborhood where there are not even any sidewalks, let alone a soup kitchen or a homeless shelter. Curious, you park your car to approach the person. That's when you realize that he is in fact a statue, a work of public art. With his head and hands hidden, the only clues to his identity are two nail gashes through his feet. I'm not making this up. It's a real statue called Jesus the Homeless, installed in just the kind of neighborhood I've described at St. Albans Episcopal Church in Davison, North Carolina. Some in the community have loved the installation to the point of even coming to sit on the bench and touch the feet and pray. Others have found it creepy or demeaning to depict Jesus in this way. One passing motorist even called the police, not realizing the statue wasn't a real person. The snarky line in one news article said, that's right, somebody called the cops on Jesus. <laughs> For his part, the church's rector said that he thought it was a good reminder that, as he put it, our faith expresses itself in active concern for the marginalized of society. He cited that famous passage from the end of Matthew when Jesus says that whatever we do to the least of these, we do also to him. But the idea of that statue and the mixed reaction it's provoked reminds me even more of the parable that Jesus tells in today's gospel. The story opens on a destitute beggar named Lazarus, who not unlike that Jesus statue, lies at the gate of a home in a wealthy neighborhood. Lazarus is so hungry that he would gladly eat what spills from the rich homeowner's table. The rich man is pointedly not named in the story, but for simplicity's sake, let's call him Dave. So Dave, the rich man, and Lazarus both die, and in the afterlife, their fortunes get reversed. Dave finds himself in a place of torment, while Lazarus is spirited away to be with Abraham, the father of the faith. This is where the story begins to make its point. We might expect a change of heart on Dave, the rich man's part. After all, here he is being punished for his lack of generosity in life while Lazarus is getting wined and dined at the heavenly banquet. But listen to what Dave says. Father Abraham, I need a drink. Send that little peon, what's his name? Lazarus. Send Lazarus to drip drops of cool water from his fingers onto my parched tongue. It's like he doesn't get it at all. You know, never mind that Lazarus is up there with Abraham and Dave, the rich man, is down here in Hades. Dave still has the gall to assume social familiarity with the great patriarch, calling Abraham father, and to assume the social inferiority of Lazarus, whom he continues to treat as some kind of lowly servant. This attitude persists when Abraham turns Dave down. Dave then wants Abraham to send Lazarus, the lackey errand boy, to Dave's living brothers to warn them not to end up 
where Dave is. Abraham replies, well, they have Moses and the prophets, meaning the Bible, to tell them how to act. And if they won't listen to these sources, not even someone who rises from the dead will convince them. And of course, we all know who's going to be rising from the dead in the gospel. Now, at first glance, this parable might seem to be an indictment of wealth itself. Jesus certainly does have challenging things to say to those of us who may have a little extra cash to burn, which by world standards means most of us here, especially in the Gospel of Luke. But the parable is actually about something, I think, more subtle than that. It's not Dave the rich man's wealth per se that gets him in trouble. It's the attitude that he allows that wealth to foster in himself. He seems to be under the impression that wealth is a sign of God's favor. He subscribes to the long-standing heresy still preached in some of the most popular churches in America, that if you are wealthy, you must have done something morally right to deserve it. And if you were poor, God must be punishing you for disobedience or laziness or whatever. Therefore, the poor have gotten what they deserve and there's no reason to help them. That's the attitude that this story is satirizing. As the rich man clings to it, even in the face of divine evidence in the afterlife itself. So it's not his wealth that ruins the rich man, it's his self-justifying theology and his miserliness and his inability to put himself in Lazarus's shoes. We could say that the rich man is suffering from two mutually reinforcing deficits, a lack of imagination and a lack of generosity. Perhaps those same two deficits have given rise to some of the negative reactions in the community where the homeless Jesus was installed. Perhaps they're deficits that many of us struggle with as well. Maybe we all, in one way or another, tend to carry judgmental attitudes about other groups of people, attitudes born of lack of exposure and a failure to imagine life through others' eyes. The greatest antidote to these deficits is to put ourselves into contexts where the stereotypes can start to break down, like the Crossroads Soup Kitchen in October or Feed the Need. It's been going on all summer. I'll never forget the first job I had out of college as a counselor at a group home in Oakland, California. Now, I don't know if this is still true, but at the time, Oakland was a gritty urban city with a lot of poor residents of color and all the challenges typical of that environment. And I will tell you that as a suburban white kid with a shiny new college degree, I was way out of my element. And I was carrying a lot of the racist assumptions and fears that our culture has peddled about the kind of neighborhoods I was spending time in. And it took me a couple of months to begin to realize that yes, you had to be alert 
But not every young male with low-slung pants coming down the street was a threat. In fact, by far the great majority of them were not. It took me a while to begin to get past what I'd learned from the media and figure out that Oakland was mostly full of good folks just trying to live their lives like me, only with a lot fewer unearned advantages. It was a rich culture of community and people. That recognition of our common bond that breaks through the divisions in our culture is the clear point of today's gospel. It not only challenges us, like the rich man, Dave, to share the wealth of our resources with others, it also challenges us to share the wealth of our imaginations, to think our way with empathy and respect into the lives that are not like ours, to release our self-justifications and the mental hierarchies that suggest we are better than, and to truly find Jesus in every person that we meet. Amen. Okay, everybody. Well, thanks for listening to this week's sermon. And if you want more information about me or the church, you can always go to our website, holycrossnovi, that's N-O-V-I dot org. And in the meantime, have a blessed week, and you can find more sermons as we publish them in the same place you found this one. Take care.